today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, I think it's going to be either the, U- the USDA lowering corn stocks. We think the actual corn stocks number should be closer to 1.35 billion bushels, which would be you know, awfully, awfully tight. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a hashtag Market Monday episode here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I've got to say, my voice still sounds a little bit funny from being sick last week, but I did rest up this weekend, even though it was graduation weekend. So I'm starting to feel better, but my voice isn't 100% just yet. Hey, I feel you, Ashton. It's It's that time of year where it's getting cold, uh, you're pretty busy because you're getting ready, or in your case, you were finishing up school, you're getting ready for the holidays. This is always a really hectic time of year. It sure is. And I think that with the COVID-19 vaccine coming out, it's going to just kind of be even more hectic as folks don't really, you know, aren't too certain on what to do. But I saw on Facebook today that one of my doctor friends in Dallas actually got her first COVID-19 vaccine dose today. Yeah, I've been seeing some folks across social media uh, throwing out some posts that vaccine is coming down the pipeline. They're expecting to get quite a few doses done here before the end of the year. Uh, so they're moving right along. But one group of people that's not moving right along action seems to be lawmakers out in D.C. They now only have until Friday to reach an agreement on a new coronavirus relief package, as well as government-wide funding for fiscal year 2021. If you look car, they've passed a short stopgap mem- measure so the government at least won't shut down until uh, the first of the year. But now we're waiting to see them pass a longer-term fiscal year budget for 2021, as well as what's going to happen with some sort of new stimulus package or stimulus aid here for coronavirus relief. The EPA also is kind of slow moving because they did miss that November deadline to administer the U.S. renewable fuel standard, but they have now are aiming for a December 31st deadline as the point to which they will propose new rules on the amount of biofuels refiners must blend into their fuel mix next year. Under the adjusted timeline, the agency will aim to finalize the rule on the so-called renewable volume obligations in June 2021, according to the agency's agenda on the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs website. But I mean, even though they are government officials, I've got to say, I feel like this is the time of the year where everything kind of goes haywire. Uh, yeah, it certainly does. There's, it's like, I, you know, we talk about this every year. Uh, they have to pass the farm bill by a certain date. They have to pass the next year's funding by a certain date. They have to pass the renewable fuel obligations by a certain date, yet we never seem to pass any of those things by that specific date, Ashton. Yeah, I have kind of noticed that we're not hitting those deadlines this year. I haven't really had to pay attention to a lot of these things just because I haven't, of course, you know, been on a podcast or really just had a need to pay attention to those kinds of things. But I tell you what, I'm going to certainly be keeping my eye out on them next year to really see if this is a trend. Oh, it, it certainly is. I can assure you that government moves slow, Ashton. But uh, speaking of government, Russia's government has now announced a new 30 million or excuse me, $30 million export tax on their wheat exports between the days 
months of February 15th to June 30th. This tax is about 80 cents per bushel, equivalent to about 80 cents per bushel, and will run, like I said, between February 15th and June 30th. So this tax will be placed on any wheat leaving Russia's borders as an export. And market analysts are expecting that between now and February 15th, we're going to see Russia really push ahead on these exports to try and meet as much of their wheat quota as possible and to try and avoid that 30% tax that will start February 15th. In the short term, it's probably going to push wheat markets a little lower as we see Russian wheat flood the markets. But long term here, and we'll talk about this in just a little bit with Sean Hackett as we chat markets today, but long term uh, could be supportive for the wheat markets that we do see Russia probably pull back on the global marketplace. Well, Delaney, I want to take things back here domestically, specifically talking about a farmer in Wisconsin who is taking advantage of the drier December weather to start planting 2021 soybeans. Now, I am not too familiar on when soybean planting typically happens in the Midwest, but I was interested in this story because we are seeing a lot of the Midwest still seeing drought weather, and I'm anxious to see on whether or not we get to see some rain, especially in those drier parts of the country come 2021. But Delaney, from my understanding, this planting soybeans in December, really in the middle of December, not even early December anymore, is common. Um, So is he planting soybeans as a cover crop? I'm not sure. I think he is just early planting soybeans because from from what I can I'm reading they are, would normally see snow on the ground at this time in the part of Wisconsin that this farmer's in. But since they're not seeing any snow, he's taking advantage of these conditions. I mean, planting soybeans, really. I mean, usually people aren't planting soybeans until like April, May, June. I don't know. I think it's a, a little bit different. I don't know what he will hmm use these for, but uh, thought it was pretty interesting. I'll have to do a little bit more digging and maybe report on this story into further depth tomorrow. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm not quite sure I fully understand why I'd be planning right now. So you have to do a little digging and let us know, Ashton. But, uh, you know, as we're talking about planting, really harvesting in this case, we saw final yield numbers for the 2020 corn yield contest winners. So every year we see nationally, national corn growers put on a yield contest to see which farmer can yield the highest bushel per acre of corn. And typically we see Randy Dowdy or folks out on the, uh, I believe he's either North Carolina or South Carolina. I'm drawing a blank right now on which state, but usually we see similar people win year over year. This year, I don't recognize this this gentleman's name. It's Don Stahl, corn grower from Charlotte, Michigan, pushed quite high on his yields this year. And again, this is, you know, you have to have one acre that produ- produces this. This isn't necessarily all across all of his production. But Ashton, do you want to guess what his yield was that he submitted to win the contest this year? Oh, man. Uh, I I don't even know. I'm I'm ready to be amazed though. I'm I'm too scared to throw a number out there, Delaney. Why don't you hit me with it? He submitted a 476.9 bushel per acre yield 
in the conventional irrigated corn category, you know, pushing a four beyond $400 bushels per acre this year, I think might be the first time we've seen somebody win this award. I'd have to go back and double check for sure. But, you know, typically in the past, I remember some high 300s some you know, mid 300s, typically guys around here, Ashton are yielding maybe, you know, anywhere from 150 for lower produ- producing ground anywhere to, you know, 250, maybe 275 if it's really good ground, really fertile soil. But 476 bushels was this year's winner. That is just absolutely insane and just really great news for that farmer, especially during 2020. Yeah, definitely. And again, he doesn't, he didn't produce that across all his ground, but just kind of a fun story for today. I actually have one other quick story, Ashton, if you'll oblige me, a funner piece of news for today's Monday afternoon. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so my other piece of fun news, besides the 476 yield, is a new strain of pineapples. Del Monte has unveiled a pink pineapple, Ashton. Um, basically, it's a pigment called lycopene, lycopene that's naturally found in tomatoes and watermelons. And they are now producing, taking this trait technology, putting it into Del Monte's fresh produce pink glow pineapples which are now available for a limited time on the u.s market um the the spokeswoman that announced this said that they're genetically engineered pineapples and they typically take about two years to grow and produce this pink variety but they're kind of cool looking kind of fun for the christmas season i suppose that certainly is fun i'm not too big on pineapples but if they're pink i might have to just give them a whirl you could just have them for a decoration at that point. <laughs> I, I suppose so. But Delaney, I'm all out of news for today. Why don't you say we hop into the markets before we get into our hashtag Market Monday conversation with Sean Hackett? Absolutely, Ashton. Let's do that. And we saw soybeans reacting pretty favorably to the news or rather lack of news that South America didn't receive quite as much rainfall as weather folks were originally anticipating. Corn, on the other hand, was a little lackluster today and wheat down significantly on the news. Short term, at least that Russian uh, products will likely be flooding the market. But let's kick things off here first in the corn contract. March contract up a half a cent today to close at 424. The December down a half a cent to close at 411 and three quarters. Soybeans big move today as the January contract added nine cents to close at eleven sixty-nine and a half. The March up eight and a half cents to close at eleven seventy-four and a half. Chicago wheat today down big as the March contract shed eighteen cents to close at five ninety-six and a half. The December down eleven and a half to close at six oh four. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets, we saw some mixed trade today across the cattle complex as the February live cattle contract shed 15 cents to close at 113.10. The April unchanged on the day to close at 117.37 and a half. In feeders, January up 30 cents today to close at 140.02. The March up a nickel to close at 140.60. And over in the lean hog markets, green across the screen is the February live February lean hog contract added 245 to close at 65.67. The April up a dollar 32 to close at 68.82 and a half. And lean hogs for today closed higher across the board as February added 245 to close at 65.67. And April added a dollar 32 to close at 68.82 and a half. Without further ado, Ashen, let's kick it off to our conversation with Sean Hackett of the Hackett Agricultural Report. 
Look for today's hashtag Market Monday interview joined by Sean Hackett, author of the Hackett Agricultural Report. Sean, thanks so much for joining today. It's great to be here, Delaney. Always like talking with you. Absolutely. Always like having you on as well, Sean. And let's talk a little bit about the markets today. I know you follow things pretty closely. You follow a lot of fundamental and technical factors. When you look at markets for today, we had mixed trade across the grain boards. Uh, what's going on there? Well, I, I, you know, the market is trying to search for a new bull story, Delaney. You know, weather's sort of calmed down right now. We're getting some spotty but timely rains. The Chinese are are, pu- are pulling back from demand. Um, so the market is just feeling like it's done enough and we're heading into year end. A lot of times it's a period where speculators take some chips off the table. So I just think the market is just unable to find a reason why it should go much higher. And we still see some pr- possibly downside price risks heading into year end um, you know, for, for some seasonal factors and just for the fact that um, it does look like things might be improving in South America just a little bit. So. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, South America. We had the WASI report last week, and it was really a non-event, non-report. Do you anticipate that USDA will change global production and South American numbers here anytime soon? Um, I think they would probably do it for the first time in the February meeting. I think they're going to want to see how things go because January is such an important month for determining yield. Just think of it as being like our June, July. You know, it's hard to make a, a yield forecast until you get through some of that. So I don't think they're going to change much in the January report. They might try and change uh, U.S. numbers a little bit. We think U.S. numbers can come lower in corn and soybeans in the Jan report. But we think they're going to stick tight on South American production in, Jan- in January. We think we would look to the February report for some bigger surprise to the downside if Mother Nature continues to come up short with moisture. Absolutely. Sean, let's chill down a little bit farther here. Talking in the corn market, uh, we saw March close just higher on the day, but really lower across the other markets. What kind of bullish factor, a bullish story are we going to need to see here in the corn markets to see this thing turn around? Well, I think it's one of two things, Delaney. I think it's going to be either the U- the USDA lowering corn stocks. We think the actual corn stocks number should be closer to 1.35 billion bushels which would be you know, awfully, awfully tight based upon uh, historical precedent. Um, we think we can get that in January. So we think the market might, that might be one catalyst. The second catalyst, remember second crop safrina corn is really the big crop in Brazil. It's the key crop that's exported. It's planted in January and February. And we think the market's going to look for how is that crop going? Are they get? Is it delayed planting? Is, there, is, is it the drought going to continue? And could we be looking at the corn crop uh, having to go further into the dry season. If it does look like that, we think Mother Nature in Brazil could be an, a secondary catalyst to a downgrade in U.S. supplies. So we think January is a big, a big, big month for catalyzing the corn market higher after a uh, a quiet period here for the last few weeks. John, what about when you look at the soybean markets? We touched that $12 level that producers love to see, but we've since uh, pulled back just a little bit. And, you know, we're hovering right now in the January about 1169. Is there reason to see this thing push back up towards $12? It's really kind of a similar story, Delaney. You know, Mother Nature is, a, is very, very big for soybeans in January, especially in Mato Grosso. You know, that's the key Central West region that really, really brings home you know, the biggest uh, supplies for soybeans. And and so 
the market's going to be really looking at that region to see if this uh, period of temporary rainfall goes away and, and gets dry again, because it can overcome dryness up to this point, but it cannot overcome a lack of moisture in January, which is one of the rainiest months of the year for them. So we think soybeans will, will be in check until they get a better handle on January Brazilian weather. Yeah, it really feels like the markets are just kind of hesitating and waiting until we see what's coming out of South America. Yeah, we call, in our last report, we called it the pause. We're just in a pause period. The market just is willing to wait it out a little bit to see if, if, the, if the Brazilian and South American crops can really make it or not. And, and, and especially going into year end, markets get a little uh, less liquid. Everybody goes on vacation. You know, it, it's just a time for uh, we have had a crazy year this year, as you know, Delaney, with all kinds of volatility and, and craziness. So I think it's just going to be a quiet time for the next few weeks. Absolutely, Sean. But it hasn't been a quiet market today in the wheat complex. What is going on there? Well, I mean, Russia decided to put export tax uh, as they're getting increasingly worried about their current winter wheat crop, which went into dormancy uh, in the worst rated condition in 30, 35 years. So, you know, the, Russia loves to sell wheat to the rest of the world. They're the number one exporter. They're the dominant price setter. For wheat and the fact that they are wanting to restrict exports through export tariffs is a really telling sign that um, you know they're very concerned about a much much lower winter wheat crop as they go into the spring and summer and so that really kicked the market up last week. But as the old saying goes, Delaney, buy the rumor, sell the news, and we sold off today on the actual news when they announced it over the weekend. So we think it's a little bit of that kind of action. But overall, you know, we think the wheat market can can trend higher here. So, yeah. And Sean, you know, when you talk about Russian production, it seems like they'll float things, see how it reacts in the marketplace and then maybe change their tune. Do you really think they're going to flow through this time? I think they will, Delaney. The, the situation with their crop ratings, with the dryness in that key south region of Russia is really, really concerning. I think they're going to play it safe. Uh, if the crop looks much, much better in the spring and things are turning around, I think they'll open up the floodgates and sell a lot more wheat. But I think for now, they're going to be conservative and they're going to keep those exports off the market until they get more clarity on how this crop will come out of dormancy in the spring. So for now, I think they're going to stick to their guns. All right. Well, Sean, let's talk livestock here really quickly. Cattle complex. What are your thoughts here? We're friendly. Um, we think that uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, uh, liquidation that's taken place here over the last several months. The cattle on feed numbers are becoming more friendly. Um, and, you know, with all the news about vaccines being rolled out maybe next week, um, you know, we think we could have a pretty exciting spring summer grilling season where people are getting more comfortable going out. The restaurants may be more comfortable opening up those that are still in business. So we could have quite a quite a demand surge into the spring. And we think the minute that the market's getting comfortable, that things might open up here for better beef demand during that critical seasonal time. Uh, we think a lot of beef needs to be bought and bought quickly. And so we think the cattle market can, can work higher here. We're pretty friendly this market. We think uh, the fundamentals are, are, are pretty decent at this point. Fantastic. Well, Sean, before I let you go, if folks would like to read your ag report or just follow along with you, how can they do so? Best place is our website, Delaney, at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. All kinds of sample reports and interviews for them to take a look at what we do to see if it's of value to them. 
Fantastic. Well, Sean Hackett, thanks again for joining today. Thanks for having me on, Delaney. Look forward to doing this again. Again, folks, that was Sean Hackett joining us for today's Hashtag Market Monday episode. You can find all of our past episodes like Talking Markets on Mondays or Technology on Tuesdays or any of the other great topics we cover. Check us out at agnewsdaily.com or interact with us on social media. Find us at agnewsdaily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.